Good morning again. Um, yeah, like Chris said, thank you all for being here uh, this morning and um, man, just being part of this family. I, I know you've heard that word a lot today, the word family. Um, hopefully it's kind of, you know, been there and it's something that you've heard as you walked in the doors or you've sat in here this morning. Um, as we start this new series, this Life Together series, um, that is a word that you're going to hear a lot. You're going to hear that word family over and over and over again. And here's why, because this series is all about just that. This series is about us as a church understanding one very simple thing, that we are a family. We are a family of faith. The way the New Testament speaks about uh, the church, the, the saints of Jesus Christ, is that we are a new family created in him. As we sing about being sons and daughters of God, right? What does that mean? That he's a father, we're brothers and sisters, right? We are his family. Jesus talked like this and when he was kind of doing his ministry. You know that story where he's sitting there teaching and some people come up and they're like, hey, your mom and your brothers are outside and they're looking for you and they're kind of wondering what you're doing. And Jesus says what? He says, you know who my mother and brothers are? It's those who do the will of God. It's those who, who serve my father, right? That's us. And we are a family and we are called by God, by the New Testament apostles to do life together. To see one another essentially as a family of faith. And I would even argue this, that more so even than your biological family, we are family. Because, and, and here's why I say that, and I don't mean to say this in a, in, a, in a harsh way or in a callous way, but this is just simply true. There are people that you are blood-related to that won't spend eternity with us. And if that's true right now, I hope that we all have this idea in our minds and this mission to go and share the gospel with them so that they would, but it is just simply the, the matter of truth that there are probably people in our families who will not spend eternity with heaven with us because they do not believe in Jesus. And yet everybody who believes in Jesus, we are an eternal family. This is true, and we're going to spend a long, long time together. I said that a couple of weeks ago, man. If there are people in this church family that you just don't get along with, you better learn to because you know, know them for a long time. And, uh, man, we're going to get to celebrate and worship Jesus and spend our lives forever together. And that's what this series is about. Um, and so today is really, bit, really a little bit of an introductory message to that. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Here's, here's what I want you to kind of leave here uh, thinking about today. Uh, it's it's this, this little phrase here, a Christian worldview, a Christian worldview, a biblical Christian worldview. What is that? Where does it come from? How do we get there? Okay, um, so that's what we're going to talk about today because I, I believe as we get into this series, it's going to really help us to start with that foundation because if we don't have a biblical Christian worldview, if we don't see everything through the lens of the, the worldview of Jesus and the worldview of the New Testament, then... Um, we're, we're kind of starting off on, on the wrong foot, okay? Um, so I'm going to read this quote real quick. Yeah, this is a quote from a, a man named Dr. David Dockery. He's from the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And here's what he says about what a Christian worldview is. A Christian worldview is a coherent way of seeing life, of seeing the world distinct from deism, naturalism, materialism, existentialism, polytheism, pantheism, mysticism, or deconstructionist postmodernism. Those are all worldviews, okay? We're saying Christian worldview is different than those things. Such a theistic perspective provides bearings and direction when confronted with new age spirituality or secularistic and pluralistic approaches to truth and morality. Fear about the future, suffering, disease, poverty are all informed by a Christian worldview grounded in the redemptive work of Christ and the grandeur of God. 
Moreover, a Christian worldview offers meaning and purpose for all aspects of life. That is to say, a Christian worldview for us as believers and followers of Jesus is the lens through which we see everything else. The lens by which we filter every aspect, every circumstance, every moment, every opportunity, every bit of pain, every bit of pleasure in our lives. We filter it through the worldview that we have. Now, here's the thing. All of us have a worldview. You have a worldview right now. It may not be a Christian worldview. You have some sort of way that you start from to kind of interpret everything that happens to you. You have a way of viewing the world. And what, what, I, what I hope that you see this morning is that there is a way in which the gospel writers and the apostles of the New Testament, Jesus himself, wants us to see the world so that then we can begin to live our lives as children of God, as a family of faith in this world, doing life together with the Christian worldview. Um, first, I want to tell you a story. There was a church called the Megala Ecclesia. The Megala literally means megachurch. It's like the first megachurch. This church was built in about 360 A.D., um, and it went to, into the 400s, um, early 400s AD. And uh, this, this church was in Constantinople. It was built in the, it was, this was part of the Eastern Roman Empire. And it was, at the time, um, the biggest building, church building in the world. Um, it's, it's still known as one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was this massive, beautiful church in Constantinople, the, the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire. Um, Christians and travelers from all over, even non-Christians, they would come from all over the place just to come and see this, this megala ecclesia, this huge, amazing uh, uh, church, sort of ancient cathedral, um, before cathedrals were really a thing. But in the early 400s, the Eastern Roman emperor, his name is Arcadius, um, he sent word to this church, the megala ecclesia, and the, the, the pastor who was there, his name was John Chrysostom, he sent word to them that he had the intention of coming to set up a statue of his wife, the empress, Eudoxia, he had, a, he had a, the intention to come and set up a statue of his wife in their church building. At the Megala Ecclesia, he was going to set up this, this massive statue. And so, um, obviously, the Christians being who they were and, and Pastor John Chrysostom being who he was, they said no. Now, Pastor John Chrysostom, he was the, actually the bishop of Constantinople, and he was the pastor at the Megala Ecclesia. Um, he was a guy that was known as a, he was a great preacher, but he spoke very plainly. He was a preacher that was just known for really taking the, the awesome truths of scripture and making it very plain to the common man and woman so that they could hear and understand the, the deep truths of God. Um, he was known for being very applicable in his preaching. He was known to kind of call out the abuses of power that were really common in Rome and even common in the early church sometimes. Um, he actually got the nickname Golden Mouth. Um, because of his preaching. This guy was just known far and wide, not necessarily as like a loud and, and, and you know, super like maybe I am hand talker kind of preacher. Um, but he was a, just a guy who could just speak so plainly about the gospel and people love to hear his teaching. And here's a, another thing about him though. This is a man who really lived with a Christian worldview, a man who actually practiced what he preached, that he didn't just preach these things. He lived them out. And so when the emperor sent word to him, I'm coming to set up a, a, a statue of my wife in your church. Um, he, he simply said, no, you're not. And so the emperor, Arcadius, he exiled uh, John Chrysostom into the wilderness. He ended up coming back, um, and then he was exiled again, and then he came back again, and he's, he kind of appealed to Western Rome, like the Roman emperor about that, and he was finally exiled a third time. And John Chrysostom, the bishop of Constantinople, the pastor of the Megala Ecclesia, he ended up dying in the wilderness because he refused Right, he refused to let the Roman emperor come and, and set that statue up in his church. 
He is a man who lived out the principles of a Christian worldview that my life, that my physical life and my safety and my health and my prosperity are not more important to me than the integrity of the church, right? This is how he lived his life and he preached it and he lived it out to the point of eventually dying for that faith. And the New Testament authors, they want to help us as a church have that same mindset, right? The New Testament authors write the New Testament so that we as a church today, 2,000 years later, can still have the same worldview that Paul and John and James and Jude and all these guys in the New Testament had, that John Chrysostom had. And we can still have that same worldview today as we go out there and live out our faith, okay? So here's what I want to do. Just for a few, uh, a few minutes here, I want to actually look at five of the apostles in the New Testament. And, and just, uh, I picked out for us this week, I just kind of picked out for us uh, a few statements that they make in the scriptures about what their worldview looks like. Now, let me be real clear on this. Um, this is not a comprehensive uh, Christian worldview that I'm going to give you this morning. Rather, it's just sort of a couple snapshots. Okay, a couple snap. Obviously, we don't have time to do that. Uh, my heart would be, man, that I could walk with you guys through a course for a whole year of just what it means to have a Christian worldview and what that looks like from beginning to end. But for, for our sake this morning, um, we're going to look at a few different passages from, uh, from Paul, from John, from Peter, from James, and from Jude. These are five apostles in the New Testament that are teaching us, how do I see the world? How do I understand and interpret everything that happens to me and everything I see out there and everything I see in my life through the lens of a Christian worldview? How do I do that? So let's start with the Apostle Paul. Um, man, the Apostle Paul is the hardest one because the Apostle Paul, if you don't know this, he wrote most of the New Testament, um, several books in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. I'm, I'm kind of looking through there this week, just thinking, man, which passage do I want to use um, from Paul about how he interprets life, how he sees everything? I thought about Ephesians 4 where he says, man, there's one body and one spirit and one hope and one faith and one Lord and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, in all. That's a way of seeing the world. And it's beautiful. I thought about Romans chapter 11, verse 36, where he says, From him, to him, through him, to him be all glory forever and ever. Amen. I thought about 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where he simply says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to what? Glory of God. I love it. That's a, that's a worldview, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it to the glory of God. I want to filter my life through that, right? I could have picked Galatians 2, 20. He says, for I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me, who gave himself up for me because he loved me, right? I, we, that, that's a Christian worldview. But here's the one I want to go with, Colossians 3. This is Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. Um, and, and this, like I said, there, I don't know. There's a lot you could kind of read about Paul. But here's, I think this kind of sums up pretty well the way Paul views life for us. And here's what he says. And, he, and he's given it to us. Here's, here's your worldview. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him glory. Now, I'm not going to spend a long time just breaking down that whole passage, but real quickly, just like, what do you see that Paul is talking about here? He's talking about, man, what does your life look like in Jesus? 
that you had a certain kind of life before you met him, and then you came to faith in Jesus. You were baptized into his death, and you died in that water, so to speak, and spiritually raised to new life. And he's saying, man, now set your mind on him forever. This is a Christian worldview. Have a worldview where your mind is set on Jesus. And everything that you do is lived in the mindset that that person is dead. That that person is dead. Guys, think of all the things that you've done in your life that you are not proud of. I mean, I could name so many things embarrassingly up here that I'm not proud of. And you could too. We could write down lists after lists of things that we have done, that we have screwed up, that we have really just hurt ourselves, hurt people that we love or whatever. And what Paul is saying, and this is a Christian worldview, says, you know what? When I come to faith in Jesus, that person is dead. And I now live through faith in Jesus Christ, and he lives in me. So I'm going to set my mind on him every day and live from faith in the God. This is a Christian worldview. And I, and I even love the verse, and this one's up here too, of Philippians 1.21, which I think kind of sums that up. I think this sums up Paul really well. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's a Christian worldview right there. For to me to live is Christ. If I filter everything in my life through that, to live is Christ. Every opportunity I go through, everything that I get that's good, everything that comes to me that's hard, everything that's difficult, every time I suffer, every time I laugh, every time I cry, I filter it through to live is Christ. I want my life to be about Jesus He's my hope. He's my joy. He's my goal. He's everything I want. He's everything that saved me. He's all I'm living my life for. And then when I come to the end and I fear that fear that all men fear, the fear of death, I can rejoice because I know I'm going to be with him because to die is gain in Christ, right? I can live my life from this worldview. That is a Christian worldview. Ask yourself, do you see life that way or do you not? Let's look at what Peter says. This is the Apostle Peter, and, and for Peter, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. It's a little bit longer passage, but it's so beautiful what Peter says. This is Peter's worldview, okay? Apostle Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Listen to how Peter, through his worldview, thinks about problems and grief. He says, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. If you live your life by that worldview right there, Good days or bad days, you will rejoice in Jesus, right? This is a Christian worldview. Do you see life that way? Do you understand? I love that Peter puts it that way because the whole book of 1 Peter, it's about suffering and how to suffer as a Christian in this world. Listen, if your worldview, and this is a common worldview, is something about how um, pain is inherently bad and the goal of life is to be happy and safe and comfortable all the time, 
If that's your worldview, and that's the worldview of many postmodern people, especially in America and the Western world, that's the world like pain is bad, pleasure is good, and only the only goal of my life is to be safe, to be comfortable, to be happy, to be healthy, to be wealthy. What do you do when suffering comes? It blows your worldview to smithereens. But Peter's saying, if you have this worldview, you actually see this as a reason and an opportunity to praise Jesus for who he is, for what he's done, and for what he's doing in our lives. Right? And he goes on to say so much more about that in 1 Peter. Let's read John. Here's John's worldview. Man, if I had to boil John down to a paragraph, here, here it is. The Apostle John, he writes so much about love. Apostle John loves to write about love. Here's what he says. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends... Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's a worldview. God is love, right? And he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That is a way to live life. Is it not? This is a Christian worldview because he so loved me that my life is sold out to love him and others always, forever. And he's talking about loving one another. We're talking about life together, the church. He's talking about church, loving church, church people, loving church, Christians, loving each other, brothers and sisters in Jesus, giving their lives for each other. As Paul says in first Corinthians, he says, I have, I will spend and be spent for your souls. That's what he says to the Christians in, in Corinth. I will spend and be spent for your souls. That's love. That's Christian love. And that comes from a worldview of he first loved me. And he is love. Through Jesus Christ, he showed us that. I'm going to live my life by that. This is a Christian way of seeing the world. Let's go to James. James, the half-brother of Jesus. Here's, here's his worldview. James chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is a worldview. How do I see trials and suffering that I go through? Just like Peter was writing about. He says, there's a crown of life stored up for us who persevere under trial through faith in Jesus Christ. How do I deal with sin? How do I think about sin in my life? Do I blame you? Do I blame Satan? Do I blame God? Or do I see that sin lives inside of me and that has to be put to death every day? That's a Christian worldview. And this is what John is talking, or James is talking about, trying to help us to see this clearly. Guys, this is why it is so important for us to live our lives in the scriptures to spend every day poring over this book 
so that we can see these things clearly day. And it takes a long time to see this all the way through, right? But we see it day after day after day after day after day. And we begin to have our minds transformed by the Spirit through these men who wrote these scriptures down for us so that our minds could be changed. And lastly, let's look at Jude. The Apostle Jude, right before Revelation, just one chapter, short book, uh, but one of the great doxologies in the Bible. This is a doxology. Um, this is Jude, uh, verses 24 and 25. A doxology is just like a worship. Words about worship. Here's what it says. Jude says, To him who is able to keep you from falling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. James and Jude are both half-brothers of Jesus, and Jude calls Jesus his Lord. Any brothers in here um, apt to call your brother Lord? No. But Jude does, because Jude knows who Jesus is. Right? And he's like, to him be all glory, to him be all praise, forever and ever. Right? The, the apostles constantly talk like this. Guys, when we have a Christian worldview, when we see all of life through that lens, we can't help but write doxologies like that. We can't help but worship God for who he is through Jesus Christ. And it begins to shape and change everything we think about our lives every single day. And you could go, by the way, you can go to the Old Testament. And you need to go to the Old Testament to find passages and truth about our Christian world. Like, who is God? Who am I? What is sin? What is pain? Where did that come from? How do I treat people? How do I live in this world? All of that is informed in us, through to us, by God, in his spirit, through his word. That's why we need it. That's why we live our lives in here. So a Christian worldview is a view of life and the world that is informed by and centered on the word of God. We have to begin, church, to filter everything through this, through these truths, through all of this. A Christian, a Christian worldview keeps Christ right at the center of our lives and allows us to filter every experience and aspect of our lives through God, through his glory, through his will, through his word. So here, here's what you do. If, if tomorrow you get some kind of great opportunity, you get, you get a promotion, you get a new job, uh, a, a, a child in your family is born, uh, you're going to get married or something like that, or uh, you, you come into some money, some financial thing happens for you and you, you get more money for some reason or whatever, you get some kind of opportunity that you would consider to be good. A non-Christian worldview takes that opportunity and just simply asks this question, what can that do for me, Right? That's a non-Christian worldview, and you can apply that however you want. What can this opportunity do for me? How can it advance me, or how can it just simply advance my family, or how can it make us healthier and safer and more uh, secure and wealthy and all that stuff, right? But a Christian worldview asks this question, how does this opportunity bring glory to Jesus? How can it, whatever this opportunity is, Right? If you're about to graduate college, how does that opportunity bring glory to Jesus? You're about to enter into the workforce, right? You get some kind of promotion. You come into some financial success or whatever that looks like. How does this glorify Jesus? How can this glorify him? And on the flip side, if tomorrow some terrible tragedy befalls your life, something hurtful, 
some kind of disaster for yourself personally, for your family, sickness, loss, failure? Will you ask the question, why is this happening? How can I get out of this? Or will you just simply ask the question, God, how does this glorify your son Jesus? How does this moment in my life show me something new about you? How can I see you more clearly through this? What do I need to be learning through this? Is there something you're trying to shape in me through this? James said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trials, right? Because we grow in our wisdom through this, right? There are things that we learn through pain that we can't learn any other way. That's a Christian worldview to begin to understand that everything, as Peter said, these trials have come so that your faith would be proved genuine. You know what the blessing is of a trial? That on the other side of the trial, you look back and you go, I'm still here. I'm still following Jesus and I know it's true now. I know because I went through that and I'm still following him that my faith is real. That's a blessing. This is how we see things through a Christian worldview, right? And so that, that's just simply the question this morning. Are we living with a Christian worldview or some kind of secular worldview or some kind of selfish worldview, right? How, how are you, how are you uh, kind of filtering everything about your job, about your family, about your relationships, about your hobbies, about your money, about retirement, about vacations, about leisure, about your pain and sufferings, all those things. Like, how, what are all those things filtered through? Are they filtered through your own opinions about those things or somebody else's opinions about those things or culture's opinions about those things? Or are they filtered through Scripture? Are they filtered through Jesus and the worldview that the apostles want us to have about all of those things? Filter everything that you do through a Christian worldview, through God and his word and his will for his glory. And that includes how you see yourself as a member of this family, as a member of this church. Um, again, this is why we're doing this series. And um, for the next several weeks, we're going to kind of walk through and look at some different stories from the New Testament. Like next week, we're going to talk about Acts chapter 2, where we see this new church form in Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem and thousands of people become Christians in one day. And instantly, there's this new family. There's this new family of believers of faith living in Jerusalem who are from all over the world. And now they have to figure out how do we live together? How do we do life together? What is this going to look like? And it's such a beautiful picture of the grace of God as these people, as they become Christians, they begin to think in a new way. If you actually go back and read some of the histories of the, the first and the second century in particular with the Roman Empire and how the Romans viewed the Christians, it's amazing to read some of the accounts of how Roman people viewed the Christians. They, they were blown away by simply, mainly one thing that the Christians thought differently than everybody else. The Christians had a different mind. They, they didn't think the way that the Romans thought. They didn't think about marriage the way that the Romans thought. It was very different, right? They didn't think about money the way that the Romans thought. It was very different, right? They didn't think about suffering the way that the Romans thought. And they tried, the Romans tried to make them suffer so that they could stop the church. And what did they do? They grew the church through suffering because the Christians saw it differently. It was to the glory of God. And they couldn't stop it. And the Romans were constantly blown away. And you'll even read things about how Romans respected Christians. There are letters, and I've read some of these like, letters that Romans wrote about the Christians. Like, as they were killing them, 
they admitted that they liked them, right? They, I like this guy that I'm about to kill. Like, I really respect him and his faith. I respect everything he's about. But I know I got to kill him because that's my job, right? And they would do that. There was even stories, story after story, actually, of some of the Roman soldiers taking Christians into the Colosseum to be murdered. And on the way, the, the soldiers were becoming Christians, because the Christians didn't see their death as a bad thing. They saw their death as an opportunity to share the gospel. Read the book of Philippians. It's an entire book of Christian worldview. Paul sitting in prison going, praise God, I'm in prison. People are hearing the gospel. Right? Like that is new and different. And guys, if we begin to see our lives that way, we begin to see this world that way. I'm telling you, this community will change. Because the church will be the church and we will do life together. We will break out of these doors every single Sunday knowing we have six days to go and share the gospel. We have six days to serve people, love people, go through whatever we go through to the glory of God. And on the seventh day, we're going to come back together and we're going to tell stories about that. And we're going to sing praises to Jesus for what he's done. And we're going to pray together. And we're going to encourage each other. And then we're going to go back out there and we're going to do it again. Every week. From a Christian worldview. So, um, back to the Megala Ecclesia. After John Chrysostom, the, the bishop, the pastor of the Megala Ecclesia, he was, um, you know, kicked out, exiled to the wilderness, and he died. Um, after that, Arcadius, the Eastern, Eastern Roman emperor, he sent word back to the Megala Ecclesia and the people who went to church there. He sent word back to them. And he said, okay, I have, uh, you know, exiled your pastor. Now I'm coming to do exactly what I said I was going to do. I'm going to set up my statue of my wife in your church, this amazing, beautiful building. <laughs> and the Christians, knowing that they kind of were out of options, right? Like they didn't, they didn't have any leverage over the emperor. He's the emperor. What are they going to do, right? They can't stop him through force. They're not going to like return violence for violence. They're not going to keep him from doing what he wants to do. And so the Christians decided that they were going to do the only thing that they could do when the emperor Arcadius showed up to set that statue up in that building, the Megala Ecclesia, this ancient wonder of the world, there was no building. They burned it to the ground. They burned it to the ground. You know why? Because they weren't playing the same game the emperor was playing. The emperor thought that they would care more about this building than they did about their faith. The emperor thought that they would care more about their safety and their lives and their comfort and their security than they did about Jesus and the integrity of Christianity. But they didn't. They cared more about the glory of God. They cared more about Jesus and the sanctity of worshiping him and him alone above all else. The emperor is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's how the Christians lived their life in the Roman Empire. And this is how we live our lives today in the 21st century. That Jesus is Lord. And regardless of what our culture says or what our culture does or the direction that it's going, we do life together, church. Do you want to be a church? Do you want to be a church? Listen, that's just known for coming to this building on Sundays and having decent music and a cool atrium. Do you just want to be that church? Or do you want to be a church that is known for living life together in the glory of Jesus and making a difference in this world for his glory, sharing the gospel, making a difference, helping people to see that there is everlasting life in the one true God, Jesus Christ. We can be that church if we do life together with a Christian worldview. That's where it starts. So here's what, here's what we're going to do this week. Here's my challenge for you. 
Um, one thing is just, you know, come back next Sunday as we walk through this series and we look at what it means to be the church. But here's, here's a little challenge. I, I gave you several scriptures today um, from, from Paul, from Peter, from James, from John, from Jude. Uh, you can pick one of those scriptures or you can pick one of your own from the New Testament. My challenge is this. Memorize one of those passages. Put one of those passages in your heart. Maybe if you, if you have a family, if your mom, dad, grandparents, or kids, or whatever, do it, with, do it as a family. If you're single, just do it with some friends. Get with a growth group. Do that together. But find some people that you can memorize this together and let that be the worldview from which you commit to live your life. Say it every day, over and over, and pray that scripture back to God and ask God to do a work in your heart until you begin to see life like the apostles saw life to live as Christ and to die as gain, right? Live your life like that. That's my challenge to you. And then, like I said, come back next week. Come back next week or tune in next week online if you need to. But man, be here if you can. And let's start being the church. Not that we're not, but I'm saying let's keep being the church and continue to be the church. And even more so, be the church that does life together that God has called us to be for his glory forever in Jesus, right? Can we do that? I think we can be this church. I think we're starting to be this church, and I want to see us continue on that path, man, to following Jesus the way he's called us to. All right, let me pray for you, and we'll be done. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you have opened up this beautiful truth to us so many times throughout scriptures, that we can see that our lives are not just about us, that there is a bigger picture, that there is a gospel, that there is a kingdom, that is real and is true. It's more real than the, the physical world around us. Your kingdom is the realest thing there is. So let us go and let us live in it. Let us go and let us share our faith. Let us go and let us be joyful and kind. Let us be servants of all. Let us be salt. Let us be light in this world. Let us do life together and see one another as family who we need to be serving and helping and encouraging and challenging and spurring one another on towards love and good works for your glory. God, we thank you so much that you allow us to do this together, this life together in the name of Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. All right, guys. Thank y'all so much for being here today. Love y'all. Y'all have a great Sunday. Go be the church.